You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. It's great to have you on board, wherever you may be. I'm your host, David Frizzell, and I'm wondering, are you sometimes paralyzed by your own standards? Is your pursuit of perfectionism having an impact on your progress and the way you feel about yourself? My guest in this episode is here to help. Lynn Kazali is a reformed perfectionist, and for Lynn, near enough is often good enough on the things that don't matter as much as we think they do. She is going to help us all care less about more and care more about less. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Lynn Kazali. Lynn Kazali, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Lynn, your concept around ish, fabulous, the antithesis of perfectionism. I love it. I can't wait to talk about it. But whenever someone comes on the podcast and they've got an interesting name, I always (laughs) ask them about it up front. Your name is Lynn Kazali. Are you any relation to up there, Kazali? I am. I am. That's a a great Australian name. Fabulous. That could (laughs) have... That could have been a dead end, but it, it could have been wonderful. It's going to be wonderful. Who was up there, Kazali, to you? Was it Ron or Ray Kazali? That was that song. Roy. Was about? It was actually Roy. Roy. Roy Kazali. So, yeah, he was my great granddad's brother. He played right. AFL football last century for a few yes. teams in Kilda, the Swans, and Hawthorne. And. Didn't get to meet him, but lots of good stories passing down through the family line. So he was gone before you arrived. Is that the case? Yes. Ah. Yes. Yeah, unfortunately. But a great book came out last year, I think it was, you know, around 12 months or so ago, and uh, really went into the detail of his innovative ways of thinking and and training before substances were available to sports teams. So the the thing about him was he wasn't that tall, but he was the guy that flew high and took all those wonderful marks. But he was super fit for for his day, wasn't he? For, For any day, he was just the fittest guy in the competition. He was. He had quite uh, progressive techniques. He one story we heard of. He he used to bolt a football to a basketball ring out out the back of the family home, and he'd coat the ball in oil and grease, and he'd run up and grab the ball, and his fingers would be sliding down, but he'd try and hang on to it, and and he would just wow. repeat that time and time again. That was one of his training techniques, and so. When he's out in the footy field and his hands are dry and the ball's dry, of course the ball's just going to stick there, you know. So, yeah. Um, yeah That's Don Bradman guy. with the cricket stump and the golf ball type yeah. stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, they're really quite proficient. Awesome. Well, I'm glad there was a connection there because, like I said, that could have been a dead-end conversation, <laughs> but it was fabulous. <laughs> now, Lynn, tell us all about ish. What is this ish concept about? Ish, well, I think we recognise the letters ish when we see it at the end of words like English or Swedish or Danish but over the last 10 20 years it's actually become a word of its own and it means somewhat or near enough yeah. and Friday ish I'll have yeah, it to you Friday ish that's right or what time do you want to meet up you know six ish so we're used to this approximately on lots of things in life and we do it a lot and I think we could be ishing a lot more so tell us about your relationship with perfectionism, because am I right in saying that this ish concept is the antithesis of perfectionism? It's the fight against perfectionism and, and all its woes. 
Tell us about perfectionism and though and their woes and your relationship with those mm. woes. Yeah, well, I think perfectionists will either admit it, uh, thinking it's a badge of honour, or mm. we might have put it forward as it's been called your favourite flaw. You know, if you're in a job interview and people say, well, what's a oh, weakness? I'm a perfectionist. Yeah, I'm a perfectionist because it kind of comes off as sounding not too bad. But it yeah, is bad, right. right? It's not a good thing and it's on the increase the world over. So some pretty significant research over the last 10 to 15 years has shown a number of different types of perfectionism are on the rise. And I totally identified with them when I started my business a number of years ago, trying to get everything perfect, trying to create the perfect website and get the perfect headshot. You know, oh, I can't, can't get my photo taken because I haven't had my hair done and I can't get my hair done because my hairdresser's away and, and my hairdresser's not back for six weeks. So I can't get a photo and I can't upload it to my website yet. So I can't have a website, therefore I can't have a business. That's right. Therefore I can't put myself out there. So there's this sequence of events or conditions that we can put on things and we say it's not good enough. It's not perfect. I can't put it out there. And I think it shows up a lot when entrepreneurs and innovators have got great ideas, but they don't put them out in the market because they're waiting for it to be better or working harder on it to make it until it's good enough. So this idea of everything needing to be exactly right can act as a blocker to progress. You mentioned that there are a number of different types of perfectionism. I hope I'm not testing you too much by (laughs) getting you to label some of those and tell us about those different types. Yeah, it's not a not just a vanilla blanket of perfectionism. So three types have been identified. The first one is where we have high standards for ourselves and you'll hear people say that, oh, I have high standards for myself or I have high expectations. The second type is when we think that society holds high expectations for us and it's a perception, it might not be true. So we think, oh, I couldn't do that because it wouldn't be acceptable or people wouldn't tolerate it. So the first one's self, the second one is societal, and the third one is when we put high standards on other people or we layer an expectation on others. And, you know, you have a chat to people about these three different types and a lot of people will identify with one or two or sometimes all three of them. And which type did you identify most with? I identified with the second one, which is I couldn't put this out there because society wouldn't accept it or, yeah, uh, yeah, that feeling of it's not good enough, it doesn't reach a good enough standard. And when people talk about, you know, that you say it's that good fault in an interview when people ask you about your flaws, oh, I'm a perfectionist, what they're really trying to say is I have high standards for myself and they want the potential employer to walk away being very impressed with that. Mm. What are the problems necessarily with that type of perfectionism, the high standards for myself? Mm, I think we see it if you've ever worked with someone in a team and they hang on to information or they wait until they've got Mm. more data and more facts. So sometimes they won't share things, they won't share a first draft or they won't let you see what they've created yet. I remember a number of years ago working in a design agency and there was a lot of perfectionism there. You know, they'd come up with uh, rough concepts and ideas but they wouldn't want to show you until it was better oh, the client won't accept this. It won't be good enough to go to print. And so this is that second type, society thinking what I've done should be better. Um, But clearly it's a perception 
we've really got to check whether or not that's the case. We could be making this stuff up. So I, I get the first time we think, mm. you know, we have high standards for ourselves and we all mm. like to pretend that we're a perfectionist in that way to some mm. extent. I understand mm. the the pressures of society. You know, I started with a podcast, mm. you know, four years mm. ago, 115 episodes ago or something like that. And I I had that barrier, you know, I've got to put something out that's of a high quality. And when yes. I look back, it actually wasn't. It was of a very <laughs> poor quality because I didn't know what I was doing with the audio, but I did have those anxieties. But there was that part in me that was kind of, although I'd never come across your concept, the ish concept, although I never wanted to be embarrassed or or anything like that, I didn't want to come across as unprofessional. Mm. I guess I did put out my first episodes knowing they weren't perfect. Yes. I guess even though I was very inexperienced, there was something in me that said, hey, you just got to do this. Yeah. It's not right. It's yeah. not perfect. Yeah. You just have to do it. So that's a nice place to get to. And of course, we'll get to that point later where we talk about overcoming those barriers and the kind of self-talk that is required. But I want to hear about the third type, the standards that we put on others. Mm. Is this just blatant hypocrisy or in-relationship bullying? Where, where does this type of perfectionism come from? Yeah, I think we see it in, we do see it in relationships. You see it in, in the workplace, but it's when we have an imaginary expectation and we might not verbalise that. So we're kind of wanting someone to reach some magic standard, but we haven't let them in on what that standard or expectation is. What can get a laugh at, at conferences when I'm talking about this? I'll, t I'll uh, refer to the art of dishwasher stacking. If oh, you've yes. Got your <laughs> yes. That's, that's a thing in my house. Yeah. What's the correct way to stack a dishwasher? Now, I might not have high standards for myself. Ah, I don't care. I'll put them in anyway. Societal expectations? No, nah, you just put stuff in the dishwasher however you like. But that third type Someone in your household might go, no, the dishwasher needs to be stacked in this particular way and you don't know you've contravened their standard until you do it the wrong way, which may not be the wrong way, but it's the wrong way according to them. So dishwasher stacking happens often, that, uh, that challenge around reaching an expectation. And that, that word expectation is where I was just about to go. Isn't mm. someone's reasonable expectation, another person's over-the-top perfectionism? Yes, most definitely. So how do we figure that out in our head? So I'm thinking about my household situation. My wife's going to hate this, but she only <laughs> listens to every second episode anyway, okay. so she might not hear this. But I am much neater around the house than she mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. And I think her in my mind, messiness actually plays on my neatness. It makes me want to be neater, neater because I'm so annoyed by what I see lying around me. And she sees what is lying around on, in my mind, every surface of our house is piles of stuff from time to time. She sees that as just reasonable, just the the symptoms of a busy life. Yeah. So am I being a perfectionist and, and in an unhealthy way or does she just have lower standards than me? How do, how do we work that out? I want you to tell me that I'm right here, Lynn, by the way. <laughs> we have different standards. We have different expectations. And whether it's how tidy the house is or whether your hair looks good or whether you have to have a presentation ready for work by next Tuesday, you know, do you work flat out between now and then? Or are we going to say, you know, the standard we want to accept is three pages, a few dot points, go for a first draft. So I think the key here is to 
communication, but we need to be clear about what is the standard we're going for so that we can agree on that. Hmm. Okay, that doesn't help at all. And you didn't say that I was right, so I feel let down by that. Hey, Lynn, I see this perfectionism thing is also in a relationship with procrastination. Mm. I think there's Mm. probably an element of procrastination there. So what comes first? Which is the chicken and which is the egg or which Mm. is the the horse and which is the cart? Yeah, I think then- Are we hiding behind perfectionism in a way to procrastinate at different times? Yes, they're bad mates. They're like two naughty friends that were hanging around together at school. They egg each other on. So procrastination is- absolutely linked to perfectionism, that fear of starting or I'm not ready, I don't have all the information yet, I can't even begin on a task. So procrastination can be connected to a bunch of fears about what the end result's going to turn out like. Will I be able to get there? Can I reach this magical image I've got in my mind? Uh, So I believe we need to know when to start and that helps us combat procrastination. So it could be setting a deadline or making a deal with a a buddy or a friend to say, I'm starting this on five o'clock on Friday, hold me to account. Hold me to account. Yeah. Or what I love using- Why would you start anything at five o'clock on a Friday, Lynn? Well, it depends what it is. You know, you might be having your last (laughs) drink for the weekend. (laughs) But I love using a countdown timer. You know, you can set them up on the web and you can have a countdown to when your project or task or idea is going to launch and countdown in weeks, days, hours, minutes. And that can be something that helps you get ready to press go and actually start. Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation. Now, I'm going to drag out of you all your wisdom about mm. how we how we do this, how we move from perfectionism to a, a little more balance in our life. But mm. I've got a few penetrating questions left. Ooh, Tell sorry. me about the signs in our life where I should be concerned about perfectionism. Let's start specifically about at work. Mm. What kind of things am I doing at work if perfectionism is a problem for me and I probably need to think about some strategies to unravel that? Yeah, you'll often see overworking and overthinking and reworking. So they're three things to look out for. So first of all, working extra hours or taking work home, then overthinking. So you're saying, I need some space or I need some time to think about it and think it about it again and think about it again. And then that third one is reworking. You start working on something and then you think, no, it's not good enough. I'm going to go back to the beginning and start all over again. And I saw this happen recently with a team. They'd been working on a cool proposal. They'd been going well on it for a couple of weeks. And one of the managers looked at it and said, no, not good enough. And they cut it and started all over again. And that was absolute perfectionism. What a waste of all that team effort. Annoying. And are they the same symptoms that I would have at home? Let's say in my in my private life, my family life, I'm worried about perhaps I'm on the perfectionist side. Is it the same thing? It's overwork, overthinking things and, and redoing stuff? Yes. You'll see overworking. So things around cleaning, people clean, overclean, re-clean. With thinking, I saw um, working with a family recently and they were just paralyzed around the decision of which Airbnb to stay in. So they'd been searching and searching and searching, looking for the most perfect Airbnb, 
when they'd already looked at heaps that would have been good enough, but yeah. uh, their their pursuit was was endless. So yeah, we do see that in our private life as well. And then reworking, you might see they say someone doing a tiling job at home in the laundry. They've laid all the tiles and they look at it, and go, no, it's not good enough, and they rip them all up and start again. Start so again. reworking, tiring stuff. You know that actually brings me to my next question about different parts of our lives. Is it more common that someone is a perfectionist right across every part of their life? Or do we have these little pockets where we're comfortable and we're okay to do things in an ish kind of way? Maybe because I've got more experience and I I know what will work and what won't work. But there are other parts of my life where I just have this perfectionism obsession Mm. with it and I can't Mm. be comfortable unless those tiles all line up perfectly. (laughs) What do you see? Is is it a blanket thing or do we have segments? No, I see people having uh, particular areas where they are a perfectionist or they might call themselves Mm. a stickler, that I'm a stickler for detail on something. So some people are very finicky about their car being spotless inside and out or, you know, don't bring any sand into the car or don't drink any beverages in the car. You know, you hop in an Uber car and you can kind of tell whether the person's spotless and has very high standards yeah. or they're a little bit slapdash, a little bit yeah. near enough is good enough. Yeah. So you, yeah, yeah. absolutely can. Yeah. So I think we have parts of our life where we're really quite happy to go for near enough is good enough, but there'll be some stuff. Like I had a friend who used to be very particular about the knives in his kitchen. Like you had to put them back in a particular way. You couldn't wash the knives in the dishwasher. They had to all go in their correct sections. He's he's a super chef and so his knives, his tools, you know, that's part of perfectionism for him. So I, I like the concept, but I am struggling to imagine where it would, I don't know, what, where does the rubber hit the road on this? Again, I'm, I'm thinking back to work. Say it's a, a proposal for a new client or a piece of work that you've got to give to your line manager that you know mm. they are going to present at their senior leadership meeting or whatever it might be, any myriad of of examples I could give there. When is it okay for me to give my boss that rough and ready job, the 70% job? When is it okay for me to create a proposal for a new client that isn't perfect? Well, we're never going to get to perfect. So it's a, it's an imaginary standard. And if we start working, if we start working on something without having clarified what the standard is that we're going for, then we are on a hiding to nothing. We are trying to reach perfectionism or perfection and we won't get there. So if you next time you're given a task, if you can clarify what the the expectation is of that person that you're submitting it to, and then you just have to meet that expectation. If there's no standard, you don't know what the expectation is, that's when we tend to just overwork, send ourselves into a spiral trying to make things better and better and better and it could all end up being wasted effort. Is there that space of wasted effort there in Mm. in that lack of communicating standards? So my supervisor has asked me to do a piece of work. The standards Mm. of what he's expecting or she's expecting aren't clear. Mm. So in my mind, I'm thinking, all right, I've got to impress here. I'm I'm playing for my position in the team here. It's got to be perfect. Whereas when she gets it, she might have just said, oh, thank you. That, That was just a little bit of background information from me. It's not actually going anywhere. Thank you. That looks great. That's and right. I'm thinking, wow, I didn't need to put in that extra eight hours on the weekend this to make it. that document absolutely immaculate. So mm. just a simple 
a simple process of clarifying yep. what the purpose is for this piece of work and therefore what the standards are. Yeah, and you use the magic word there. It's called clarify because they will have something in their mind. They'll have a standard of what they need and unless you ask what that is, rather than just deal with the deadline, then you'll work yourself crazy until the deadline. You'll try and make it better, better, better. And that's absolutely when perfectionism kicks in. So I think this moves nicely into this next question that I have about, I'm assuming that that high standards, therefore, aren't out the window altogether. There are some times where we have to have really super high standards and the work that we present needs to be of the absolute highest professional standard. So how do I make sense of that against this ish concept? How do I know the parts in my life that I should still have the highest standard possible for myself? Mm, Well, it's the things that count, like what's important to you. If you're a surgeon, I don't want you to ish during surgery. I want you to meet, you know. On the cleanliness of your scalpel. Exactly. Don't ish that. Where shall I put the incision? Oh, here? There? Is that good enough? Yeah, that'll do. No, we don't want that. There-ish. Yeah. We we want precision. I think this is the difference. Standards of going for excellence or precision or meeting meeting a clinical or medical standard. You know, the Takata. But most of us aren't surgeons. No, we're not. But there will be things like, say, driving. You know, we try and yeah. not be perfect, but we try and stay on the right side of the line as well as we can most of the time. So there'll be certain things like operating machinery you know, using a blender, crossing the road. So we start to see people ishing when they're crossing the road because they're using a device, they're multitasking, and that's dangerous That is not stuff. a time to ish. No, not a time to ish. So high-stakes situations, mm. that's when we don't mm. ish. We don't ish on high stakes. So what about us as a professional? Is it ever, you know, do I need to be always acting super professionally in the workplace, always thinking about exactly what's coming out of my mouth, Always, every piece of work that I present is of the highest caliber. Can I ish some of that and not lose reputation? Totally. You totally can. There's a few different biases and principles that operate. One of the biggest ones is called the spotlight effect. That is, we think people are paying more attention to us than they actually are. Because they got their own stuff going on. That's right. Everybody's in their own heads. So even when you might yeah. be delivering a presentation, um, talk to actors and performers, Singers, artists, they think what they've done, oh, it was crap. But the audience is like, it was amazing. So sometimes we're, you know, pretty poor critics of ourselves. We're not such a good judge of our own uh, performance. So we can be a bit harsh in that regard. So remember that the spotlight effect, we are usually paying way more attention to something than other people will. So immediately. So that's one of the biases. Well, mm. That's a really good one, the spotlight effect. Mm. What are those other biases at play when I ask about when I can relax a little bit with my yeah. professional image? The other one I love is called the pratfall effect. So a pratfall is when you fall, right? Fall on your butt, slip on a banana peel. Like a prat. A prat, yeah, a pratfall. And if you show your imperfection, if you show a slip-up, if you show your humanity, people actually perceive you more highly. Right. You go, what? How does this work? Now, if they already think you're a bit of a tool and then you show the pratfall, they will still think you're a tool or a fool. But if you're going along behaving kind of normally, (laughs) 
for you and then you make a slip up, people will perceive you more highly. So now we're seeing wow. this stuff works in reverse. We're trying to uh. show perfection and it doesn't work. Whereas if we show imperfection, the you know, people we we end up endearing ourselves more highly to people. And that that came out on uh, the Big Bang Theory when Amy and Sheldon were getting married and uh, Sheldon couldn't tie his bow tie. And so Amy quotes it to him. She says, you know, let's, it's okay. The pratfall effect is on our side. If we show oh, wow. that. Yeah. They actually say that. They do. That, if, that must have got you super excited to hear I went, that. Oh, yeah, that's the pratfall. I know that. Uh, so if <laughs> All you right, show, show humanity. The spotlight bias and the pratfall, and the, and the pratfall mm. makes perfect sense. Mm. You know, you're more relatable if you're human as well. Yes. If you're presenting this fabulously polished professional image, that's pretty good. That's a good yeah. effort. That's nice yeah. to do that. But you actually, you might be a little bit too polished, too yes. professional for people to relate to it. you as a human being. So give you them a little it. bit of that. Give me one more of these fabulous biases, Lynn. Well, I'll give you the clangor, the best one of all, the 80-20 principle. We hear it as the Pareto effect, right? You put in a little yeah, bit do. of effort, 20%, you'll get a huge return, 80%. But if you stuff around spending 80% of your time and effort, you might only get a 20% return. So I talk about great hope, great work, and then great waste. We can end up working for too long on something and that economic principle of diminishing returns starts to kick in. So there's going to be a, a pivotal point where we've put in good effort, we get good results, and then it's time to launch or time to press the button, time to go, test it out. Nice. All right. Now, Lynn, we're getting to the mm. good stuff. This is where it really Ooh. counts. This is my last question. Oh, People are listening to this. They love the concept. They love the ish. They know that they they seek perfectionism a little bit too often. You've given them some good tips, but Give us the top few things that I can start doing now to choose the right things to apply the ish concept to and to follow through with it and make sure that I'm getting that benefit out of it that you've been describing. What are the things that I can change tomorrow? Well, first of all, I think look at time. So you can ish on time. Now we can ish uh, time in terms of 6.05 or what, do you, what time do you want to meet up? Six ish. So check whether you can ish on time. <laughs> if if you rock up at five past six and the bus or train has already left, well, you miss out. No good. No wishing there. No wishing there. But you'll find with time, if you say, oh, I've got to spend two hours on this, actually, maybe you only need to spend 20 minutes. Why do you think you have to spend two hours? So you've already ished today on time a number of times. I so. Go again. So I, I have a thing about meetings. Mm -hmm. Let's think about meetings in the workplace. There's 8, 10, 12, 15 people. And it actually annoys me a lot when mm. people come to meetings two, three, seven minutes late. Yeah. And you look around the room, there's 10 minutes, there's 10 people waiting for them or we have to repeat ourselves or whatever it is. Mm. It's disrespectful. And I have mm. very high standards of, about that. And I don't recall the last time I turned up to a meeting even a minute late. Mm. But the problem with that, and, I th and I'm okay with that, and I can't see myself changing that standard mm. because the professional setting, I think, demands that. But the problem with that is it carries into my private life, in my social life. If I tell someone I'm going to be there at six, and if I'm, you know, I will bust my insides out yes. to get there at six, no yes. matter what's going on around me. I think I could probably relax a little bit on that. But the fact that it's so 
closely related to what I have high standards yes. about at work. Yeah. It's like my brain is locked in. When you say you're going to be somewhere, be there or die trying. Mm. So for you, you go time in terms of arrival or starting time isn't negotiable. That's not something you would ish on. Another thing you can ish though is your effort. So let's say we, you had a task to do and you sweat crazy trying to get this task done, you'll find you actually don't have to put that amount of effort in. I think it happens, you know, someone's coming over for dinner and you do a quick whip around and maybe tidy up some of the crap that's lying around the house. And that's a great example of an ish effort. We just have to do a little quick effort and we get some really good results. So that's that Pareto principle, 80-20, 20% effort, get a really good, really good outcome. You put away to- the big stuff. Yeah, put away the, the, the kids' it. big toys. The, the place looks it. much tidier if you put away the five biggest toys. <laughs> See, you're already onto it. Um, <laughs> and I think we can also ish on ourselves. The biggest thing is to not put such high standards on ourselves. This personal expectation we have or the fear that society expects more of us, this is the kind of perfectionism that's been on the rise the most over the last 15 to 20 years and I think we see it reflected in social media, people not wanting to put things out there because the photo is not good enough or the post isn't good enough or there aren't enough hashtags or, you know, it's, it doesn't meet some defined standard. And this is the stuff that's pretty much killing people, right? We're getting anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, afflictions like asthma and general pain in the body. These are all caused by this pursuit for perfection. And we've got to start lowering the expectation we have on ourselves. So that's that's a third area I'd ish on, not just on time, so time effort, effort, and self. And ourselves. Mm. So my very last question, Lynn, I, I told you a white lie before. <laughs> what about you? So yes. you started by telling us that you were a reformed perfectionist. Mm. What's the journey for you been like to discover ish and how good are you at it? Oh, I'm really good at it now. Even the book that uh, that you're holding, the book Ish, I wrote in a what's what would be known know. as an That's iterative amazing. an iterative yeah. process. So I put the first version out and it was really crappy, right? A couple of people wrote reviews and said, oh, it's very wordy and it's repetitive. I'm like, yeah, that's my first draft. <laughs> so then after it's just the- in the bookshops. That's yeah. amazing. I, I, I love that, by the way. When I read that at the beginning of your book, I thought, how authentic to be talking about this ish concept and admitting that that's how you did the book. That is yeah. really very good. Yeah. So you put that out there. Then and- I got it edited and, and polished up. And so now I've got a better version, but I didn't sit on it and wait till it was perfect. I worked it, got some feedback. And so this idea of working little increments, get some feedback or iteration and go again instead of working really long and hard and, and winding ourselves up into knots over it. Not good for us. It's a fantastic concept, Lynn, and I can see your passion with this whole <laughs> ish thing. It's really very infectious. Thank you so much for joining me on the Team Guru podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. And that was Lynn Kazali. What a fun chat. Lynn is a walking, talking example of the power of the ish concept. She's relaxed, bubbly, and completely content with life. 
She knows when to care about quality and she knows when to let things slide. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Lynn on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. You can connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud or LinkedIn and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.